Searching for clues to discover God's mysterious plan for your family? Then don't change that dial. Join us now in our discussion of the mystery of parenthood. Here are your hosts, Trey and Stephanie Cashin. Good afternoon. This is Trey. Uh, unfortunately, Stephanie's not here again. Keep all of us in your prayers, but we have uh, Thaddeus again doing another show. Thank you Howdy. for being here, uh, you know, for running everything and sure. uh, and then being my foil. I don't know what the right yeah, word is. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. But, uh, let's pray first, huh? Let's pray for sure. And then they are the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God, you, I mean, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and all, of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. St. John Paul II. Pray for us. Holy Family of Nazareth. Pray for us. Amen. And the Father, and Son, the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. before we get rolling, um, folks, I think it's kind of fun to pull back the, the curtain sometimes and let you let you know what's going on behind the scenes. This is actually, now this is pre-recorded because we're recording a week ahead of time, but this is actually take three today because <laughs> Thaddeus does not have his head screwed on. No. And, uh, not, so we had, a, we had a slip up with the um, bumpers earlier and then we... Then I forgot to start the recording the next time. So hey, third time's a charm. We're really going to be polished. And there's this something time, really a, polished. As a good Catholic, uh, that's true. As a good Catholic, there's something good about three. That's right. That's right. So, <laughs> so carry on. All right. Thank you. Hey. So we were we were talking about we've the mystery of parenthood has always been built on on the idea that we as as couples as married couples as families are meant to be signs in this world that we're meant for the world to see God through us. One of those signs that we're meant to be is the church. We're, we're meant to be a sign of the church. So much so that the church actually says the domestic church. And as we mentioned, I mean. Yep. Domestic Red, church. I've heard that somewhere heard before. That right. Red Sea. It, Religious from the education for the, the domestic, domestic church. church. It was, we're, we were meant this, this show, this apostolate, this radio station. It, it was, has always meant, was always meant to be something that helps inform the domestic church. Right. And so, um, like I always say, things that we can learn about, things that we can learn about the church, things that the church is challenged to be, are things that we should look to and, and challenge ourselves. So, for example, we're not talking about this today, but if you take the creed, we believe in a one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Therefore, we as a family should say we should be some representation of that unity, that oneness, uh, that holiness, Mm-hmm. One holy Catholic, that mm-hmm. Catholicity, and then apostolic. <laughs> they were sent. I'm having to go back through my head. My, I'm 52 years old, and yeah. I can't do things that you got adroitly. It. You got but, it. but one holy Catholic and apostolic should be something that we as 
family should look into and say, how do we, how do we build those things up? If the church is called to it, then we as a domestic church are called to that as well. That would actually be an interesting show to talk about. We, yeah, about we, that. and we, that's a, Maybe we've done, done one. We've, but it was a long time ago. So it'd be, it'd be worth coming back and, and doing it. How do we promote those things? What are the things that we can do? In fact, we may do that sooner than later now, <laughs> okay. that you, now that you say that. <laughs> I'm writing this down but, right but, now. Right. But, but, but this one is something that kind of came up from, from discussions and some books that I'm, that I'm reading on, we find ourselves in a time where there's all kinds of ideas and we're, we're considered to be in a post-Christian era, era um, by most. I mean, Cardinal uh, Chaput, he's a cardinal, right? Yeah. Is he? Is no. he? I don't know if he Maybe is he's yet. a bishop. Maybe he's I know not. he's the Archbishop of Philadelphia. Archbishop of Philadelphia, at a minimum. Used to be the Archbishop of Denver, Denver which of Denver. is my stomping grounds. Right. And 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 then there's also the, the I'm sure some of y'all have heard the Benedict Option that's written by Rod Dreher. I'm not, this is not about that, but right. it's kind of in response to, I've pulled both of those guys' writings, and then I was already kind of rereading what we're going to talk about today. And I think it fits kind of nicely in terms of, a, a way of attacking or a way of looking at how do we enter into this culture? What are we called to do? Um, and then hopefully we can give some ideas, but I'm going to build it on, or we're going to build this on a discussion of Pope Paul the sixth encyclical, probably the first one after he became Pope right? called paths of the church for you Latin people out there, Ecclesiam Suam. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and this is the Pope who, took over the Vatican Second Vatican Council from Pope John the 23rd who passed away in the middle of it. Right. And this is also the pope who produces Humanae Vitae. That's what he's most famous for. Right. Arguably, Def- right? I would think that is because that was certainly the most it was, it was it was the most world I mean so I'm sure there were not a whole lot of people worried about this encyclical coming out when Humanae Vitae was written. Was a bombshell. Everybody in the church and outside was waiting on what's the church what is the Catholic Church because the last bastion that's saying no to contraception. Yep. Um, and so everybody was looking to that. So he is famous, infamous, remembered probably most for that. But this is important because, like like Thaddeus said, Vatican II was called by Pope John the Twenty Third, Saint Pope Saint John. Pope John the Twenty Third. That's correct uh, because he was canonized with Pope, Pope John Paul Second. Yeah, they were together, weren't mm-hmm. they? That's amazing. But anyway, John John the twenty third called it, and this was unlike any other council in terms of the reason. Most councils were called because of some heresy, some challenge. I mean, if you think about the some of the bigger ones, the Council of Trent was, was in response was in response to the Reformation yeah. and, and trying to address those so things. Minor doctrinal right questions that need to be re- right re- addressed. And, and typically, that's been the case. If you look back at Acts sixteen, you can you can see the first documented council which is when can they do they have to be circumcised right. you know it's council of jerusalem right the council of jerusalem that that's actually recorded in 16 so there have been 21 i believe the second vatican council i think was the 21st in the 2000 year history of the church um so it's a big deal when they happen yeah um the previous one happened was vatican one which is about 100 70s yeah it was it was about 100 years prior to vatican two um but that had papal infallibility pap- as a main papal, doctrine. Yeah, so there out. were there were some doctrines that were that, that are typically again that's a whole another story about 
it's not uh, it, we call it development. It's not really development. It's really definition yeah. of something that's always been believed, but is being challenged or is confronted. It's with an unfolding or an right. An un- it's just kind of a, saying this is what we believe. Yeah. Um, we've believed it always and everywhere, <laughs> but now we're saying definitively right. this is what we've always believed. Right. Um, typically, it comes from that. This was unlike that. This was this was a pope calling a a council. For the purpose of, and I'll use my own, um, my own kind of paraphrasing of it, but but he basically addressed the council and said that the reason for the council was not to address any doctrinal issues, but was rather instead of what is meant to be delivered, he wanted how is it to be delivered, right? In what manner would make it better presented to the culture to the world today. And so you have this being a little out of the ordinary that he would do it. Pope John Paul II, St. Pope John Paul II, I believe it's apparent from Pope Paul VI. In fact, I, I think it's important to mention, where did John Paul get his name? He got the name from who started Vatican II? John the Twenty Third. Who ended Vatican II? Paul VI. Right. John Paul I chose his name as a pope after his election for the purpose of making the connection to Vatican II and the two popes who oversaw it. And John Paul II was not without knowing, I pull the, I, I choose the same name for the same reason. My job is to implement Vatican II is basically what he, what he saw for himself. So that's just an aside, which may or may not be interesting to you. But bottom line is Paul VI Very t- interesting. takes over. Thank you. But Paul VI, uh, takes over and like i said probably this is probably his first it'd be worth checking out but probably his first encyclical and this is basically him saying what john the 23rd said that's what i say also in other words connecting himself to that and his response is a little bit different maybe a little bit more defined than john the 23rd saint john saint pope john the 23rd um in, in that he, he begins to lay out a little bit more of that expression. How do we, what am I wanting the council to do with regard to how do we go forward? How does the church begin to present itself, her doctrine, Jesus Christ himself, with the help of the Holy Spirit to this world in a, in a meaningful way? And so I think it's worth looking at it, just like the one Holy Catholic and Apostolic, it's worth looking at this because what he says here, I think actually brings to bear some things that we as Catholic families and even Christian families should um, take seriously and say, Hey, you know, we ought to do this. So there's basically three things that he, that he points to. The first one is awareness. And what he means by that is I think what's, what's captured in, which is addressed to to a church, but it's it's one is in First John three one, um, Saint John writes, "See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are." I find it interesting that most of the guys that I know are Protestant and do a real good job of understanding that they are sons of God and daughters of God. I personally have to remind myself and I fall short, that's a big deal. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I say that part in jest, but 
The fact that St. John says we are sons of God means that we are, you, me, Thaddeus, all of our family are, are sons of God. I think awareness is recognizing that. John Paul II actually makes a, when he writes, uh, when he writes an apostolic exhortation or an encyclical, I can't remember, but one of the two high ones called Familiaris Consortio about the family, he actually says, family, be who you are or become who you are. Mm. Um, I think this is awareness is what he's talking about. He's, he's actually extending this teaching and saying, because the first question out of your mouth is, what do you mean become who you are? I mean, that doesn't it strike, it strikes you as odd, become who you are, family, or become who you are, Thaddeus, Trey, whoever's out there listening. That should strike you as strange. What do you mean? How am I different than who I am? That points us to a couple things that I think are important. One, we do have to remember who we are. A, a family is a domestic church. The other thing that we have to remember is he's not saying we all become the same. He's actually pointing to the dignity, not only of the individuals in the family, but of the family itself. He also says in that, in that same document that like human beings, every family is unique and unrepeatable. We have got to remember we're not – I'm not called to – my family's not called to be the Romanskis. Right. The Romanskis aren't called to be the Cashins, and, and the Cashins aren't called to be the Macas or Thank goodness, whoever. right? Right. Well, exactly, because we're not meant to be that. Right. And there is a temptation to compare ourselves <laughs> to other families. Uh, my first uh, – my first um, – bit of advice is do not do that. Don't compare yourself to other families. It's It can get dangerous for a couple of reasons. One, the presumption is, well, oh, I like that family. And, and they really, why don't our kids act that, that well? You know, we've talked about this before. We had some good friends and we'd compare our kids to their kids and we'd go, what are we doing wrong? Until I finally said, hey, look at the parents. I mean, they're well-behaved Nice people. What about us, you, me, Stephanie? We're we're loud. We're obnoxious. We talk too much. I mean, all that kind of stuff. Look at our kids. They're they're us. Right. I mean, right. And I think that that takes a little bit of weight off of you as a family because you're really not called to be somebody else. All right. You're 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 called to be who you are. All right. Right. And I and I think that we need to remember that um, there is that awareness. Number two. As a domestic church, I think it's important to be aware that the Holy Spirit is meant to be active. If you're living in a sacramental marriage, the Holy Spirit is there. And I don't know about you, but sometimes you have to remind yourself of that. You have to put your, you know, one of Stephanie's old teachers used to always say, you know, now place yourself in the presence of God. And he used to always make fun of, of how he did that. But there is something about actively saying, I know you're here. You know, I know you're involved in this. Yeah. Can I, can I jump in here? Yeah, please. I think what you're speaking to is also connected to um, the the age in which we live and, right. and how it's different from earlier ages. Very, yes. very different. In earlier ages, Catholic families, Catholic people were living in societies that were aware of the numinous. They were aware, they acknowledged the transcendent. They 
They yeah. had that's true. That is true. That's a great point. Li- they had uh, rhetoric, lingo, uh, cultural forms, and ways of thinking and talking about thing- things that acknowledge the the sacred, acknowledge the transcendent. Absolutely, we're, yeah. we're living in a society now that increasingly is is just hyper materialistic. Um, yeah. Not just materialistic in the way we talk about wanting to acquire material things, but is reducing down the human person to nothing more the than the physical stuff. At the same time that it's trying to say that the physical thing doesn't <laughs> matter and it's this right. menses then you're, that is what is what matters. Right. So it's very No, it is, but I, th- but I think but I think it's, but I do think it's true that that in that in that we are confronted with it's not a, a normal thought. The best we get from politicians is may God bless America. I don't know what they mean by that. But if you go back and read like Abraham Lincoln, when he taught, you know, there was more of a sense of this. This is a bigger issue. There is a God involved in all of this. If oh, you yeah. go back and read even the Constitution, albeit many of them just deists, I'm not saying they were Christian, but at least, like you said, there was a sense of the transcendent. There was right. something beyond. I mean, the the Creator. We're endowed by our Creator. Oh yeah. Just by by it by that itself is saying that there are certain rights that are given to us by somebody who's greater than us that we can't that we don't get it because our right. government gives it to us we get it because the creator gives it to us right that by itself is built into the declaration of dependence so of independence <laughs> yeah <laughs> but today you're right you don't really get the so sense. we're walking we're walking walking around in a cultural soup that that kind of conditions our or habituates our um, our unconscious thinking to right. just the material, just the just the data driven explanation, just the front, physical. Right. Well, what's what's in front of us? So which? it's easy in the context of understanding or thinking about our marriages and our families to lose absolutely sight in the moment when you're trying to confront a problem where you're having an issue between you as spouse spouses. To leave that transcendent dimension behind, you have to really force yourself well, to think well, about that, that. And I think I think that that I mean, you can go down a whole lot list. I mean, the foundation of the family is the sacrament, and and the and I mean, just getting down to like the theology body and the the theology body and sexuality as a whole gets problematic when you disconnect it from the transcendent, when you disconnect it from something more than just, just biology. Certainly. That's why we're where we are. Yeah, and the, that's what, that's exactly what the what the people who orchestrated or began the sexual revolution is saying. You need there's no need to link those two together. Well, the bottom line is is all we're doing here about being aware is recognizing what is indeed true, which is we as humans have a spiritual aspect and a material aspect. Now, when we die, we're those will be separate. That is the definition of death. In fact, just by by chance, think about what happens in the mass. The signs of death, which is what it's remembering, is the separation of the body and the blood, of the bread and the wine being separate. It signifies yep. that separation, but we're not meant to be separated. So because as spiritual beings, because a lot of people want to make – we can't – I don't want to get off on this, in no, these no, weeds no. – but but a lot of people today, if they acknowledge that 
there is something spiritual out there, what they're going to do is oftentimes in a heretical manner are going to separate the matter from the spirit. Like, okay, I'm spiritual and I just happen to be entrapped in this stuff. This, this stuff is holding me back and down and, right. and, and all that as being like a dichotomy, like which is Gnosticism, which is Gnosticism. So there's lots of things that are problem that are problematic about anything that disconnects a human being and therefore the source of a human being, which is meant to be a family from the supernatural, from the invisible, from, from the spiritual, it's meant to be together, not as something extra, but as something kind of inherent in, in what it is. And so all we're doing by doing this is recognizing. So how do you do that? I mean, there are things you're probably already doing, but just, Again, what is it? We talk about being purposeful. Sometimes purposefulness is nothing more than doing what we ought to do, but with having an understanding of why we're doing it. Because if we don't continually remind ourselves why we're doing it, it can become ritualistic. And if it becomes ritualistic, it's just something that's done and it carries no impact. Not because God doesn't want to impact it, but as a family, if we just say prayers at night and it's just rote, which is fine, but without any connection of, okay, we're dialoguing we're talking with god himself and we're instead of we're just saying words and you know as well as i i mean you've been there and anybody out there listening has experienced a time when i mean you've completed a prayer and you realize you've just said it but you didn't even think about (laughs) what you're saying or who you were addressing right that's i think that's part of the humanness of of that we have to be purposeful in, in in reconnecting and knowing the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is, along with Jesus, is at the center of this. The whole Trinity is at the center of our family. In fact, we're meant to be an image of that Trinitarian, that family that is God himself. Um, we're meant to be that. And so we have to remind ourselves, be aware that he is there. And that extends itself to prayer time. So when I, you know, I joke about this priest, you always, you know, place yourself in the holy presence of God. If you don't say that, or if you don't say something, you really do need to make that, you know, I'm here uh, and you're here is the good beginning to pray, to prayer, you know, um, yeah. Lord, come to my assistance as, as morning prayer begins or any prayer, you know, make haste to help me. You know, you're, right. you're calling those, are, those are prayers that the church in her wisdom, has already got there. The first beginning is not, let's just start praying. It's, I need help to pray, and you're here. So awareness is God's there. Awareness is that we're called to be domestic church. Awareness is reminding ourselves that we're not meant to be that other family. Now, we can look at the good things of the other family. We can even look at things that they do and say, that would fit here. But we can't compare ourselves to other families because I think you get you're not meant to be the other family. You're meant to be uniquely the Romanskis. We're meant to be uniquely the Cashins. And there is some version of that that's the best version of it. But the more we become like what we're meant to be, the more different we'll become from the Romanskis in what that looks like. Um, yeah. Because I think, you know, we just have to be aware of that. So put that put that down as, as something that we're just going to consciously, purposely become aware of God's presence we're going to become aware of the fact that we're called to be a domestic church and, and that what that means. And we're going to the, the, being the domestic church will 
be carried through this. So number two. Can I add yeah, one? Sure. And so since we were talking a little bit about discernment last week right. and Vatican II, universal call to holiness, I mean, this fits very well with oh, your great segue. the universal call to holiness, being right. aware of God's presence okay. and what you're called to be as a domestic church. Dude, you're, we you're, did not plan this, folks. Good. No, because <laughs> because the next the next one, this is really why I'm, ch- I'm chuckling, because because as I was looking through this, the next thing that I saw, which is, I'll read, I'll read this, but number two, so the first is awareness. N- number two is renewal. All right. And I'm going to read, I'll read this. I'll read this to you. This is at the end of just the first little section of, of his part on renewal. He says, talking about Jesus, his example, his word, his grace, talking about Jesus, and his method sustained by ecclesiastical tradition, by the church and its tradition, strengthened by divine action and exemplified in the lives of the saints, make it possible for us to know, to desire, and to follow the path of sanctity. So what's renewal? I mean, the renewal is, this is part of awareness too. And again, it's like anything else. They all connect with, with one another to a certain extent. When we look to Jesus as renewal, do we really believe he is who he says he was? He is God. But do we also believe the incarnation in its fullness? He is fully human. The only thing different between his humanity, between me and him, is sin. I'm a sinner. He's the only one, other than Our Lady, to have lived a perfect life. He is the exam I mean he is the example that shows us what we're capable of but beyond that and that's what's so great about the church and I think it's a, it'll point to things that we need to do the church raises up for veneration saints why does the church do that it's part of the awareness deal but it's also part of the renewal because what the church is doing is saying for those people who dare to say yes to all that God has for them, who dare to open the door wide to Christ, to any family that dares to say, whatever you have for us, we will do. Anybody who does that, we have proof in the saints before us that God is more than capable of doing something amazing in our own family. So renewal is how do we become that best version of ourselves? What are we called to? And the best way we can do that is connect ourselves with the one who was the best version, Jesus himself. And how do we do that in and through the ecclesiastical tradition, a big word here that just means between what the church is delivering in the liturgy and the sacraments in the Bible and the teaching of the church, that's how we renew. But we hold, we, we cling, we draw close, we desire union with the one who alone is holy and that's what renewal is. He's pointing to the fact that something beautiful, which is which is also a little, a little scary. Mm-hmm. We're all called to be saints. We've talked about that before. Of all the things that are that are willed out there that you know, you may ask God, I want a million dollars or I want this house or I want whatever. The one prayer that you know he wants to answer is, Lord make me a saint. He I mean, guaranteed. He, if you pray that prayer and you mean it, 
you know that his answer is yes, okay. That that's that's my will for you. Same with a family. The same with a family. We have to be willing to to open wide the doors of Christ. So what is renewal? Renewal is conversion. Renewal is okay. Here's where I am. Here's where we are as a family. This is where I think prayerfully we're called. I mean, if each one of us individually strives towards union with Christ by doing what? Going to confession, actively trying to live out your studying what the church, what the church teaches, what Jesus wants us to be. If we do that, then we together as a whole become more holy. Um, so make sure that we're making the effort to frequent the sacraments during this time. You're going to have plenty of opportunities to go to confession, you know, set aside a time and we're in the, you know, some of them have been cut back. Some of the churches here have been cut back, but I mean, my kids have got a lot going on They're Three of them are getting confirmed on Sunday. Wow. Yeah. Three, a lot of Holy spirit at the house, you know, <laughs> but, but that's awesome. We, we need to go. It is awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, but but we we we've got to figure out a time to get the confession, you know. So yeah, that's that's just something that we have to do, and the whole reason for that is exactly because we're called to renewal. We're called to be something more than we are. Yeah. Part of the awareness also is this. I think it's really important. You know, this has come up recently with my own kids and the church even does this in Vatican two. There's a great, there's a great line that says the church is at, at once always holy yet in need of conversion. Mm. <laughs> um, we need to look at it. We, we need to recognize that yes, the Holy spirit's there and wants to direct us. And we need to recognize we're called to holiness, but we also need to remember that we are sinners. Yeah. So, so renewal requires, I mean, to need a savior, you need to be something to be safe from. That's right. I mean, so if we're not aware of the fact and no renewal occurs, if we don't first say, I'm a sinner, I've got an undue attraction to X or Y or Z, I need to turn away from that. That's our baptismal vow. You, right. Do you reject Satan and all of his empty promises? Empty promises. You know, that's, it's a turning around. Yeah. Yeah. We're always in need of that. There's never a point at which we can say we made it. I mean, we we always need to remember we are sinners. The, yeah. This brings to mind a quote of St. Jose Maria Escrivaz. That's how I learned of it first. I think he's actually quoting earlier. Uh-huh. Um, I love him. He's quotes for earlier saints. But the quote is this. I might be quoting Augustine. I'm not sure. But anyway, here's the quote. It is, conversion is is the matter of a moment. Sanctification is the work of a lifetime. That's yeah. essentially what you're saying. That's right. Because you, because yeah, exactly. And that's what the call to sanctity is what they're saying. But conversion is, it, it is always, I call myself on what I've done or failed to do that is not in line with what I know I should have done. Because if I, if I really am truthful with myself and the greatness that I'm called to, I was less than great in how I handled that. Yep. I was less than great than that. So that's a moment when you say, I agree with you, God. I ask your forgiveness and turn around. Well, all of life 
is that I mean even the even just think about the mass it every mass begins with a penitential rite right why I mean, because the church knows <laughs> the church knows the truth about us we don't have to live and, and we talked about this earlier you can get into the holier than thou look at me what I'm doing we've got to I mean I'm not saying anybody out there does it but I've been I've I've seen ourselves compare ourselves and again not meant to compare. The best thing we can do is do examines of ourselves, teach ourselves to look at it, call ourselves what we are, sinners, name it, <laughs> claim it, and then trust in God's mercy and go receive it and turn around. Yeah. And all of life is is that continual moment-to-moment conversion. I think the both of those are they're together. Sanctity, becoming holy, the, the the holiness that we're called to is the result of a lot of time saying, I failed you, Lord. I'm turning around. You know, that's beautiful. But that's what renewal is. Yeah. And, and it occurs to me, too, that, and I know we need to move along, but um, you said we need to remember, be aware that Jesus is God. We have to take him seriously. Of that who he, he is. is who he is. He's God, but he's also fully human. And often we hear it said he's like us in all things except sin, or he's human in every way except for sin. And I wonder if sin is a privation. Right. Sin is a lack. Yes. A lack of the good. A lack of the true. A lack of the beautiful. A lack of the beautiful. So. Really, really, Christ, Christ is human. We're the ones who are. It's more accurate to say we're unlike him. Vatican II in go, sin, right? He that, is human. Well, that's see, that's a really important point because that's exactly what Vatican He's II says. Humanity fully alive. He says per he said the Vatican II points out the fact that he is the perfect human. In other words, we tend to have this demigod. You know, yeah, but he was God, right? Well, he went through everything we we did. That, that's why he cried. That's why he sweat blood. That's why he yeah. did that to show us what we're capable of, right? And we have to take him at his word. Right. See, I think we sell ourselves short because we focus just on the sinful side, right? But ultimately, I've heard people say you're you're more than that. You're selling God short yeah. because what you're saying is I don't really believe that you want me to be a saint. I don't think you're capable of taking a wretch like me, Amazing Grace, and yeah, turning me into that saint. Well, when we couch it like he's a human in all things, or he's like us in all things, but sin, it's almost inferring or implying that to be human is to to be sinful which that's not that's not the case absolutely not it's it, that's that is i think that really is at the heart of what christianity needs to re grasp grasp is that truth because there is there is some christianity out there that buys into we're snow covered dung that we're utterly depraved yep that is not never has been I'll sit down with anybody in the Bible that wants to. That's not what we as Christians have believed. It's not what we do believe. It's not what has ever been part of it. The good news is Jesus showed us what we're capable of separate from sin. 
So why did he come and die? To deliver us from sin. Right. When he delivers us from sin and we recognize that he came to give us grace. So if you think about it, John says in the first, in the first chapter of his gospel, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What do we need? We need truth for what? So that we can measure ourselves against that truth. Now, by itself, that can be brutal because you can say, I can't measure up to that. But the good news is he didn't just deliver truth. He delivered grace, and grace actually elevates our nature. It makes us capable of doing things that we couldn't do separate from that. So we can look at ourselves humbly in light of his truth, recognize our sinfulness, but we don't stop there. We recognize the need for a Savior is the next step. But beyond that, we recognize that he desires to make us into saints, to actually live a life. And the church proposes over and over saints for us to look at and say, look what God can do with even that person. St. Augustine, as I understand, and as I read, I believe so many things get tagged in, but he wrote an awful lot. So it's highly likely that he, that he said this, but he, he I, I think he did because he looks at, uh, I believe it's, is it Ambrose? Forget it. He said, if he can make a saint of that person, God can certainly make a saint of me. Well, if you read St. Augustine's Confessions, you know, many people out there aren't, wouldn't have lived half the madness that he lived prior to his conversion. Any mother out there who has a child who has left the reservation, so to speak, can look to St. Monica and say, look what God can do with a mother who prays and a person who's willing to look himself in the eye and no matter how how far he's fallen, to say, I'm a sinner, but you are even greater than that sin. That's the the renewal. That is it. We, We only fall down and leave ourselves where we are when we accept something that's not true, that Jesus is incapable of changing us into saints, that God the Father is incapable of making us into the saints that we're, we have to take him at his word. And it's a great point. So we know renewal is possible. So what's we the We know renewal path? is possible. I just want, I just want to live, read this one thing oh, please, from him please. because this is, this is from it. He, says, he talks about the faithful desire to preserve and increase in Christian life its character of supernatural authenticity and reminds all of their duty of effectively and deeply imprinting that character, that supernatural authenticity in their own personal conduct, leading the weak to be good, the good to be better, the better to be generous and the generous to be holy. It gives rise to new expressions of sanctity, urges love to be genial and evokes fresh outpourings of virtue and Christian heroism. We need to tell our kids they're meant to be heroes. Exactly. They're meant to be heroes. There is a connection, particularly with boys, but I think with all. We, down deep, want to be heroes. There's a reason we watch shows about heroes. Engage them, and you're meant to be a hero for somebody in some circumstance. I don't know where it is, and it may not be on the battlefield, but it's somewhere. You're called to be a hero, and you hear what you just said, the moment versus the lifetime in this, that this, this idea from the weak to, the, to be good, the good to be better, the better to be generous, and the generous to be holy, mm. that that's that moment-to-moment life of ending with sanctity. You hear it here 
Why? Because that is the good news. Yeah. So anyway, I get excited about this stuff. <laughs> this is great. Anyway, so I don't know if you had anything else on that, but mm-hmm. I just wanted I want to do that. So number three is well, something we could talk about all of these for much longer, but absolutely. But just to get through this, number three, I think, is the one thing that I personally fail at, and I think that we as Catholics have probably failed at the most. I'm not saying that we don't fail at the others, but being aware and and renewal, which we do. But this is the one that I think is what is pointing us to where we go from here. The third pathway of the church, the third path of the church, therefore the third path for any family, is to begin dialogue with others. John Paul II, St. John Paul II, went to, gra- went to great lengths to talk about this idea of dialogue, that we as the church are meant to dialogue with those who disagree with us, with those who, who see things differently than us. And it's so important and so different, we're, we're, particularly now. I mean, I just, I mean, I don't know if it was, I was listening to a podcast and the podcast was on how uncordial, I don't know if that's the right word, public discourse was now, mm-hmm. you know, and the guy that was speaking had written a book called I'm Right and You're an Idiot was the title of the book. And you can't have a dialogue if that's the beginning of your thing, even if you're right. I mean, even if you can know for a fact you're right, if the next word out of your mouth is, well, you're an idiot. It's over at that point. But that tends to be kind of what we see. If you look at what's going on in our culture currently, there there tends to be a, the way we get our point across is not only to deliver it, but to to attack and undermine the people on the other side. Ad hominem attacks. Uh, th- those attacks. What I find interesting, and this is something I I didn't bring up with, with you, Thaddeus, earlier, but when I heard Michael Ware talk on, on the Rod Dreher things, he delivers a pretty convicting thing. And he talks about, you know, the way we're getting attacked. He says, you know, we might want to look back at ourselves. And so all those people who you know, you name the sin who would come out and talk about it, how oftentimes the church or people in the church would attack them for their sexuality outside of marriage or for their divorce or for whatever, instead of, instead of engaging them and loving them in that maybe, you know, he's saying maybe we're actually experiencing just in reverse the way we responded to those people before now, we I'm not here to argue one way or the other, but I think it's a valid point that you can't in life um, start with you're an idiot and go anywhere with that. Can we have a discussion with somebody who may say I'm right, you're wrong, Christian, and you're an idiot? Can we take the you're an idiot and say okay, I I, I hear that and go from go from there. I never knew because it's it to me, you know, we get taught debate, you know, in high school as a, as a writer, you talk, you know, make your argument and all that. I don't think personally, and I don't think I've done a real good job with my, with my own children about teaching them how to really dialogue with somebody who disagrees with us. That's what he's challenging us to. And I think it's part of where we failed. To date, I, I don't think we've failed for good. I just think 
we need to re-engage as a family. And we can, we can do this in our own family. I've seen it with mine. So when, when you and your child disagree, okay, not on, we've talked about this, not on, you know, hey, I want to play in the road while there's cars coming. No, let's dialogue about that. No, get out of the road. Right. But when, when they're older, maybe, or even when they're at an age where they can actually reason to talk through why that's probably not a good idea, to dialogue with them, you can begin to show up. My kids are much better than I am with regard to when things get heated in our family of disengaging the heat and saying, hey, let's just talk about this. So maybe we've done something good even in spite of ourselves, or maybe God's done something good to show it because it convicts me. But dialogue means that we're going to talk with them. It came up with, with, with one of my kids that somebody brought up something and disagreed with what we believe as Christians to him. And he said, I didn't even know how to respond. You know, I I didn't know other than say, well, this is what we believe. Where do you go from, well, I believe this and you believe that. I mean, the easy way out in the way of the culture is to say, well, your truth is your truth and my truth is mine. Let's not talk about it. But that's not dialogue. He asked me, what should I do? And, you know, it's funny. I've never done this before, but but I think it's a good point. And actually, Pope Paul talks about it is the need to ask questions, yep. to, to, to listen. Yep. The beginning of being able to dialogue is to actually listen where somebody's coming from. Yep. I challenge you, turn on Catholic Answers. I'm not here to – but turn on Catholic Answers when they're talking to atheists or when they're talking to people who are pro-abortion and listen, because they do a great job of fielding those questions and very generously, very kindly, in a spirit of dialogue, discussing the issue in a non-confrontational way. Right. There is something so dignified about that. There's something so human about that. Yeah. And I'm challenged by it because I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm an old football coach like, okay, we'll just be, <laughs> we're just going to run mouth. the ball over, smash mouth over you. And that's not, and that's not it. But I think that all those things and dialogue always flows from those previous three, you know, an awareness of who we are. Dialogue flows from a renewal. Recognize, I mean, because if we can recognize ourselves as sinners, you know, then it should be easier for us, if we were honest, to see other people who are in sin and say, you know, I sure hope people aren't as hard on me as I want to be on them. Let me engage them in a conversation or whatever. Because ultimately, dialogue, what it's about is the fact that we're sent, that that apostolic part at the end, the last four, that we are meant to be on mission. I find it, I find it interesting. I've heard somebody say it. I don't know who it is. It was somebody on it. But, but and, and Dreher actually uses this quote because, because he says, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. You know, it will, I'm it. And, um, and he actually, early in his book, says, but he doesn't say the gates of hell will not prevail against my church in the West. <laughs> All right? Where that is is not the point. I always find it interesting. Somebody pointed, it was somebody I listened to, I don't know, on some show, pointed out, what is a gate? And said, we're supposed to be on the offensive. A gate doesn't attack. A gate protects against something. So the gates of hell will not prevail puts us on the offensive. It's not hell attacking us. It should be us attacking them. Right. Not, not, I mean, I'm using it in figurative language. Yeah. We should be going out 
to um, deliver the message, to fill it with if, if evil is a privation, we as Christians are meant to fill that lack mm-hmm. with the beauty and the goodness and the truth that is Jesus Christ. How do we do that? And, that, and that's really the challenge. I know what he's saying. He's saying that we have to go out. There's a quote in here. I got. I, I got to find. He, he being Pope Paul. Pope the Paul the says that we have to go out. It says, yeah. To, you know, he's talking about um, not not for this. I mean, it's the, our dialogue postponed until tomorrow. What it can accomplish today. It ought to be eager for the opportune moment. It ought to sense the preciousness of time. So there's a sense of urgency today, i.e. every day our dialogue should begin again. We, rather than those whom, towards whom our dialogue is directed, should take the initiative. So he's not saying sit back and wait for somebody to come and say, tell me about this Jesus you're talking to, that we should wow. engage in dialogue, that we should. And, you know, I've, you know if you read... Um, I'm trying to think. If you read any coach today, if you read um, Matthew Kelly, there's lots of others that say that one of the biggest problems that we have is we don't have a sense of urgency for what's important. You know, we have a sense of urgency. We've got to get to this thing or that thing. But, but we don't have a sense of urgency. When there's not a sense of urgency, it gets put off. Yeah, I'm not going to get in that discussion now because I've got other things to do or I want to go to sleep, or whatever. Yeah, And yeah. and I think what I hear Pope Paul VI saying is a challenge to us that we need to have a sense of the preciousness of time. We may not have that time again. And we need to be looking towards it, and instead of running from those circumstances, in love we need to go engage. We need to listen. We need to ask questions. We need to do whatever. I know we're drawn to the end, but I think dialogue is something that I know we could work on and maybe even talk more about it on another yeah, show, on, on another show about how, how do we do that? But I do think that we can, we can witness it to our kids um, by teaching them that in confrontation and in disagreement, that the best way to handle things is to try to talk through it. And we as parents need to be good um examples of that by listening to them first um, when they're trying to discuss with us. Why do you think that's what the case is? Yeah, and I think it's worthwhile keeping in mind to um, um, St. Paul, his adage of um, what be ready, be always ready to give a defense right. of the faith of the faith. Right. So if you're not at least take the initiative if you're not out there taking the initiative in the discussion, take the initiative in the study. Be always preparing yourself for that, for that possibility of that of that happening. Right, and that's part of that renewal. We're, yeah. we're, the renewal always is going to lead toward that ultimately. But anyway, I know we're, we're we're drawing to a close. So remember to parent with a purpose, pray, and then prepare for God to amaze you. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to this local production of Red Sea Catholic Radio. 
Tune in next week at the same time to hear Trey and Stephanie Cashin share more on the mystery of parenthood. 